We're given this answer when we ask what the price is of price upon request. And I have railed against this practice for a very long time. And, and I think it's it's so insulting. And I want people to know the sort of effort, the fights that we, we do for reporting coverage. They, I say, I'm not, I'm not gonna publish that. And, and so we have to like go online and ask someone else. Like we actually have to fight to get the price. That is how uninformative some of these brands are sometimes. Understanding this watch is one hurdle. Getting the price of it is another hurdle. Affording it obviously is a much more distant difficult hurdle. It just amuses me how they, you know, they certainly don't make it easy. Maybe that's the point. Welcome to a blog to watch weekly with Rick, Ariel, and David. On this week's show, we have news and reviews of the latest from Patek, Hamilton, Speak Marin, Rado, and Hublot, where Ariel lays down the Hublot challenge to a certain Dutch man with a strong Irish accent who met at Watches and Wonders. Enjoy the show. Greetings and welcome to the show. This week's a blog to watch weekly. We have our usual cast of characters, namely me and Ariel, but in honour of his superlative, although that's maybe a word that's supposed to be reserved for Ariel because of his superlative show, but in honour of his superlative performances on the show during Watching Wonders, David is back joining us. Yes. How are you, David? Thank you. It's great to be back. Good. Well, the big question I actually have to get us going is actually for Ariel. And this is the section we're calling a blog to watch watches. Ariel, what films did you watch on the way home from Watches and Wonders? Oh, that's a good question. I stuck with the classics. I finished watching Spartacus from, uh, I think, 1960, was it? And then I watched Stagecoach from 1959, <laughs> which I thought was amazing <laughs> because between those two movies, that was over five and a half hours of content. And zero watch content, one would assume, between those two films. You don't think there was um, any wristwatches in uh, Roman times or in the Wild West? So you, you completely <laughs> decompress from Watches and Wonders by watching two films that contained zero watch content. Excellent. I'm assuming the flight home for you, David, had no film content whatsoever. It only allowed me to watch two episodes of The Night Rider from the 1980s. That's, that's all it was good for. <laughs> Did Michael Knight wear a watch? I don't remember. He was speaking. He oh, was yeah. talking into it. That's how he was communicating with Kit. Oh, so it was. Yes, yes. Good point. Anyway, that's our a blog to watch watches. No, is that right? A blog to watch weekly watches film section. By the so way, that's it. <laughs> the nineteen eighties was absolutely the best era for watches as gadgets and movies. Like. Oh yeah. Watches were characters constantly as like complicated gadgets that made no sense. Like I remember watching <laughs> They Live and the Rolex president was a literally a a, a teleportation device. <laughs> like it did all kinds of crazy <laughs> stuff. Like we need to bring this back a little bit. Okay, oh, well yeah. there a future episode of Spending Time will feature watches from the 1980s if for no other reason yeah, than movie it gets us watches. the chance. Movie, movie watches. watches. From the 1980s. There we go. Consider that being rolled for production after this episode. Anyway, we are a week out or so from Watches and Wonders. You've both decompressed. Anything still? Any minds being changed? The we published on a blog to watch the kind of top ten. Any reflections that? Anything you now wish you'd put in or that actually after a week you're thinking that nah, wasn't as good as I thought it was? I mean, it's it's all really good stuff is, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, there's going to be a lot more watches coming out. It's a very strange thing because we have to choose watches that are not under embargo, which include many watches we saw, meaning we, we saw them but we can't write about them yet, yeah. or watches that 
didn't technically come out before the show. We've been doing the top 10 list for so long, it's a tradition and people value it and make sense. But to some degree, it's arbitrary because there are watches there that were great that didn't make the list because they were released before or have yet to be released. And did you actually select a best in show, David? Best in show? Hmm. Uh, that's that's a tough tough question. I really genuinely like the white ceramic case uh, IWC. It's just so crisp, no nonsense. I I've reviewed a couple of IWCs over the last two years, and one way or another, they always had a quirk that I didn't like. You know, it, it was it was not like a a charming quirk, but something weird like miscolored subdial hands or or something like that that you wouldn't expect from an engineering company like IWC. And then they come out with this no nonsense, just scripts, high contrast. I freaking love that watch. And then the uh, other one is the Longa in titanium, which is just just incredible. Thought you were going to go all large hadron collider there with your charming quirks. But uh, it seems yeah. that's also in Geneva. But there we go. So we will move on then to a watch that probably, well, my feeling is why on earth did they not release this at Watches and Wonders? But we covered it this week, and that is the Patek Philippe reference 5470p, one tenth of a second mono pusher. In the preamble to this show, I've already said, Ariel, you need to speak about this watch because I don't understand it. Well, you're. Your confusion actually makes sense here because you're assuming that the scales on the dial um, are the way that they would be normally, and that's just not true. This is a watch where there's a lot to say about it because it's 350,000 Swiss francs. It's part of their high, you know, their grand complication, as they call it, which is the really high watchmaking thing. But it's a very simple watch. It's a one-tenth of a mm-hmm. second monopusher chronograph. It does this by being 5 hertz. I don't know if it's the very first ever 5 hertz Patek Philippe, but certainly the only one in production right now, and it'll be produced in a, a small amount. I mean, part of the joke is, you know, <laughs> you can get the exact same thing out of a Zenith El Primero, which... Is <laughs> technically true. There's a lot of little sophisticated systems that Patek Philippe put in. I'm most impressed by a series of anti-shock systems. And if you know how a mechanical chronograph works, you know that under certain types of conditions, a shock can interrupt the timing and thus give you uh, an inaccurate reading. And so it has a bunch of sophisticated uh, systems in there to prevent that. Again, you know, a, a $10, you know, digital stopwatch will, will do all this for you without any hiccups at all. So it, it, in, in a sense, it's a sort of beautiful, almost pedantic exercise in, you know, mechanical uh, timekeeping when nobody really needs it. Uh, But it is an elegant watch, and it it is nice, and it is impressive. And to answer your question, uh, how do you read the time, uh, the chronograph time? And that's actually probably the best innovation. So if you look at the dial here, it's got a lot of hands, actually. It's got, uh, I think, what appears to be uh, six different hands. So it's got a lot of different hands, and it's just a 30-minute chronograph. But there's a central seconds and a central one-tenth of a second hand. And to read it correctly, it's actually quite easy. The, the seconds you know, are where the seconds are. But there's an outer scale that has 100 markers around it. So it's a little bit confusing. And so it's, it's broken up into certain sections. Actually, it's more than 100. It's broken up into sections of 10. And what you do is you find the red hand... And where it stops in that section of 10, and then you count. So it's kind of this interesting way of doing it, but you have to sort of just look at these sections of 10, which is how you would indicate 
exactly what the one-tenth of a second is. You wouldn't read it the normal way that a scale is read. You just sort of read it as, as, as a bunch of micro scales, really, which is kind of the thing, uh, the, the way of looking at it. It's platinum. It's lovely. It's not original in any way, any way, shape, or form from a design <laughs> perspective, like at all. At a glance, if someone said this was just some split-second chronograph that was already in the collection, you, you you wouldn't second guess them. It's a lovely watch. Why did Patek Philippe not introduce it at the show? I just don't think they wanted to show it to anybody. You know, the impact is in this fancy video. They have already collectors that they can sell it to. It actually does them harm by showing it to people because people will probably play with it and break it. So I, I, I actually think <laughs> oh, yeah. that they just simply had no business reason for showing it. And they have more impact in sending a 30-minute video that they force people to watch like they're in class in high school versus actually sh showing, you the, showing you the watch. <laughs> it was a long video. It was like one of those things where the teacher wheels in the television into the room yeah. and forces you to watch the Hey, everyone, this video. is your high school principal, Terry Stern. <laughs> so a right, couple of questions so unlike the zenith equivalent whereby the hand spins round very very quickly and then when you stop it it stops in one of 10 markers that are around the outside track this tenth of a second hand actually goes really slowly and stops between the 12 markers and each of those 12 markers has 10 divisions between it, and that represents the tenth of a second. So this is actually going slowly rather than fast in terms of the visual impact that it gives between this and the zenith. It's faster than a second's hand, right? It's going to move faster. By the way, it's 380,000 Swiss francs, not 350. I'm so, oh, that's so sorry I was wrong there. Out with my range then. That's it. I'm, I'm going to say something, something else. I'm going to say something about how these companies work, and it's just kind of amusing. You know, a watch like this, we, you know, we write about it, and they don't publicize the price in the press release or the video if you'll notice in the 30 minute video there was not a single mention <laughs> of the price and we ask our you know we're, we're given to like a local representative like you know talk to your usa patek philippe person and uh -huh. we're given this answer when we ask what the price is of um price upon request and i and and i have railed against this practice for <laughs> a very long time right now and, mm -hmm. and, and I think it's it's so insulting. And I want people to know the sort of effort, the fights that we, we, we do for reporting, uh, you know, coverage. They, I say, I'm not, I'm not going to publish that. And, and so we have to, like, go online and ask someone else. Like, we, can, we actually have to fight to get the price. I mean, that is how uninformative uh, some of these brands are sometimes. They're, they're not interested in media in the traditional sense. And what we do is um, is oftentimes a, a battle, even though we ultimately end up helping them. You know, just you know, yeah. understanding this watch is one hurdle. Getting the price of it is another hurdle. <laughs> Affording it obviously is a much more distant, difficult hurdle. It just amuses me how they, you know, they certainly don't make it easy. Maybe that's the point. David, is this considered a Kawatrava? Yes. And so, <laughs> and so it doesn't reflect a change. Obviously, Patek Philippe, the 5711 is away. Everyone's waiting for what's going to replace it. If anything, this isn't a hint that actually they're going to try and make the Kawatrava the sporty watch. 
starting at the $380,000 mark and working no. their way down. <laughs> this is just a, a weird exercise. <laughs> I, I feel like... I'm, I'm just laughing because the, Patek Philippe has used the term Calatrava to uh, uh, apply to so many different right. models. The term... To me, means and nothing. And so, what? So we expect that there will still be a sports watch. This isn't the kind of Rolex trick of introduce the new model at the absolute highest range and then start working down the. Well, way. you bring up a good point, and the point is that Patek Philippe, despite how respected they are and how well they do, struggle to sell non Nautilus watches. They really, really do. Yes, there are a small cadre of very dedicated enthusiasts that will buy these very expensive models, and, and, and they do exist, and they do a good job with that. But we're talking about a brand that makes tens of thousands of watches a year, and they actually need to move a fair number of Calatravas, which not a lot of people seem to want in any large quantities. So Patek Philippe has an incentive to make other watches more youthfully minded in the way that the Aquanaut and the Nautilus are perhaps more leisure, you know, oriented. The they have experimented with sporty, you call them maybe youthful versions of the Calatrava in the last few years, pilot style ones. They're all very expensive, you know. Most of them look like they're sort of humble watches, but they'll be in gold or something like that, and you know, forty thousand dollars. So I, I I do think there's some sense to what you're saying, Richard, where there is effort on on Patek Philippe's behalf in making something else popular. But I think it's going to take a lot with the Calatrava. It's not going to be some design tweaks. And when you first saw this watch, Ariel and David, what price did you think it was going to be before you asked? Before you hacked through the wilderness the undergrowth to get the actual price what was your guess it could be anywhere between 150,000 and 1.5 million you know it's just <laughs> totally random i mean i i have a slightly narrower range i was going to say on average between about two and four hundred thousand for a grand complication but basically david's right like it, it's unclear this could have been plus or minus a hundred thousand and and it would barely have made a difference it's it's just such a weird watch it's it's just it's just an odd watch in the sense that you know uh it's it, it really offers i don't understand how these can be called a grand complication at all uh, you know, a grand complication traditionally, at least in my mind, would be something that has a, a calendar mechanism, you know, um, a chronograph complication and then a chiming complication. And this has just a chronograph basically identical to in functionality to something that Zenith offers for way less. So I don't understand this entire exercise, not the styling and not the movement. It's just really weird. And I feel like they might have recognized that, okay, we are not going to shift too many of these because you know if we price it at eighty thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars no one's gonna want it so let's price it at 380 and see what happens and i feel like that's that's what we're looking at right now well if you've got three hundred eighty thousand swiss francs burning a hole in your pocket and are desperately looking for something to do with it then go and check out the article on a blog to watch and the link at the bottom to the patek Philippe website rado is another brand who I, I like to secretly root for Rado. I mean, not so secretly. Rado is a company that has a lot of cool things over sort of the modern history. It hasn't really focused too much on the West. It's been sort of a very Eastern-focused watch, but now Rado is trying to be a little bit more universal. Not not really the inventor, per se, of some of the things, but really popularized ceramic watches and hard case materials. You know, really sort of one of the first to do it in the 80s companies like Chanel made it um, a lot more popular in the modern sense. But Rado has always done a lot of interesting things. 
And the Captain Cook is a, a vintage-inspired line uh, because it had Captain Cook watches, I don't know, in the 1960s. And in modern times, uh, Rado has produced a series of new Captain Cook watches in a stunning variety of, of cases as small as, I think, 36 or 38, as big as 45 millimeters. And the larger 45 millimeter ones may have been too big. And they were uh, ceramic, I, I believe. And the smaller ones were kind of vintagey, and they they went down as, as low as 37. And there was, I think, a 40 or 42 or something like that. I, I, I've worn a few of these. This one is sort of this interesting mixture of a lot of things. It's 43 millimeters, so it's definitely on the larger side, trying to be more uh, modern in size. Has the dial design of the more vintage-inspired one. You know, now has a ceramic case, mostly ceramic case. So I feel like they're they're sort of further hybridizing the various Captain Cooks from the last, you know, five to ten years or so that they've made. This is interesting because it is, it really looks sort of like a blend. Like if you look at it, you're like, did they already make this? So this is new. So this, this attempts to be a sweet spot between that modern one they really wanted to make, the vintagey one, uh, in the material that makes sense. I haven't seen this watch hands-on yet. I have asked Rado to go ahead and, and send me one because I am intrigued by it. Um, this could really go either way. I'm intrigued by the pictures, but it's it definitely kind of looks strange in their marketing shots. I really feel like this needs more hands-on. Am I the only one that looks at these and says that it's just really difficult to get a gauge of what this might look like in real life? The photos look cool. I can't tell if they're actual pictures or if they're renders. It's pretty close. I think they're possibly renders rather than actual photos but the full ceramic does look very nice and you know it's got a date wheel that's it does appear to be red numeraled i don't know if it's red numeral all the way through looks quite nice the bracelet there's two different shots of it one appears to be full ceramic but there's another shot of it which appears to have brushed center links so i'm not quite sure what's going on there again like yourself, Ariel, I think seeing this in the flesh will be very much worth it. It's at three grand, it's right at the top end. I think it's a powermatic movement or similar that this has in it. Whatever it is that Rado call it, they probably call it something different than the powermatic 80. Rado's part of Swatch Group, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. It is true that it has a, well, it, it's sort of like the powermatic. It's, it's, it is an 80 power reserve, three hertz. But there's small differences uh, between some of these things, like the escapement and things like that. But so I expect this to be probably a around a chronometer grade. It's not chronometer certified, but probably around a chronometer grade for three hertz. And again, they they, they do that because they're able to get the eighty hour of power reserve, uh -huh. which they like. So it'd be better if it was four hertz with eighty hours of power reserve. But you know, I've had some of these uh, we'll just call them the powermatics uh, 80s from swatch and they they're they're good i mean they're it, it's it's a good movement to be sure but i i know that there's sort of a snob nature and so for at that three thousand dollar price point you know do you want a movement which is also in a sub thousand dollar watch you know i i'm not really sure what the what the calculus is i i hope that a watch like this is going to be sold on the aesthetic yeah. merits. But it's just so funny to me that once in a while, even from a brand that we pretty much know, we'll see, you know, we'll see marketing shots and we'll be like, I have no idea if it looks nice in person. <laughs> <laughs> no idea. David, do you have much experience of Rado out and about? Yeah, I really like um, Rado and I and I share Ariel's sentiment when it comes to the brand. Um, 
I feel like they're still an underdog and in some ways they could be better, but if they allowed for them to be louder and more prominent, they would be uh, stepping on the toes of Omega in some ways. Because if you look at some of these watches, imagine what a Seamaster in a full ceramic case and ceramic bracelet would cost. Certainly not three grand, but more like 13. You know, so sometimes I feel like we are we are forced to not be exposed to Rado too much. Otherwise, you know, people would just flock over there for the value, which leads me to say that I recognize Rado as a really strong value proposition in this segment. And I've had a few in for review and I always like the quality there. So it's actually a brand that I recommend to friends and family sometimes if they if they are in this segment. And I know they are kind of clunky and they don't like to have their watches all scratched up, etc. A full ceramic radio is a very nice way to go. Excellent. Well, Sean published an article on the radio on the 6th of April. Sean was manning the uh, tight press while everybody else was swanning around in Watches and Wonders. So he's been rattling through the articles. Uh, so go and check out Sean's introduction to the radio Captain Cook high-tech ceramic. Hublot uh, unexpectedly launched the square, the Big Bang Square, at Watches and Wonders 2022. And uh, I remember us receiving the first images from the brand in an email, and I was looking at these, and I thought to myself, oh my goodness, this, is, this has such a strong, distinctive Santos vibe to it. You know, it was difficult to overlook it, and I didn't want to overlook it. I thought to myself, you know, I will see these next week and see what they are like in the metal. And actually, in the metal, these watches are not like a Sondas at all. They are very big, very bold. I'm not sure the Big Bang was asking for a squared-off version. This is so incredibly large, and uh, it, it is really verging on uh, compensatory in some ways. It's It, it definitely has an early 2010s vibe uh, to it. Uh, so it feels like something that... If debuted in like 2005 or 2010 even, it would have been a smashing success. I don't think it's going to be that um, at this point in time. I, I haven't seen these hands-on. I wasn't at the Hoopo meeting, but I do have the opportunity hopefully next week in one of the local Stockus Rocks in Scotland to look at these. I'm intrigued that they have kept the USB port on the front. I don't know why they put that design, but every time I see these, I just think USB port. Do I do I plug this watch in? I don't know whether one day they will produce a version that you actually can use it for carrying data or something. But these do look pretty impressive. And I'm not a big skeletonized fan, but Ublo, Zenith do it well. Maybe it's an LVMH group thing. Ublo do do skeletonized dials at this price point. Obviously, there are people that do skeletonized dials at the gazillion dollar that are obviously magnificent, but I always do feel that Ublo do make a good skeletonized dial, and this look does look very nice indeed for the money. Other reflections on it? I just don't think there's many Ublos that are daily wearers, but I could understand if you had the cash, you might have a drawer full of them that you would pick out a particular colorway for a particular occasion. I think, Ariel, you probably disagree. I, I want to I add something <laughs> uh-huh. here. Well, look, I mean, I, I think that there's um, a designer dimension to understanding yes. this entire product. It's it's more like an exercise. It's this notion where you take the Big Bang as a design icon, and then you say, does it still look like a Big Bang 
if it's big? Does it still look like a Big Bang if it's little? Does it still look like a Big Bang if it's a different color? Does it still look like a Big Bang if it's different material? Does it still look like a Big Bang if it's a different shape? And so these are these sort of like kind of nerdy designer exercises that 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 brands like to to play. And, you know, somebody does this design exercise of taking the Big Bang case and making it square and everyone looks at it and like, wow, that that still looks like a Big Bang, even though it's entirely a different shape. And then they get very excited and they say, oh, we got it. We have to make that version of it and see how it goes. So it's it's really less about is there a market need for it? It's really less about we're jealous of the Santos. <laughs> it's it's really not about that. It's more like a design exercise that turns into a product experiment that helps the brand feel better about their their own their own icon, you know, among them is, is, is the modern Big Bang. And so you have to sort of understand it from more like an artistic perspective as opposed to like a product marketing uh, you know, perspective. I think that really helps understand why this product was made. And so is it successful at doing what you think yes, it does? Yes, it still looks like a Big Bang. It has all the hallmarks of Big Bang as the round one, but in a different shape. And so in that sense, it does successfully satisfy the exercise, though you might have to be sort of a design intellectual or someone that went to design school to really understand that whole process. This leads me on to the uh, Big Bang that looks like a Big Bang, uh, at least to my eyes, a lot more, which is a classic fusion. Of course, it's called a classic fusion, but it still has those key Big Bang elements, so, you know, the little plastic uh, things on the side, uh, the screws with the H um, design on the front. You know, I, I kind of like the classic fusion. I feel like it's the most restrained of Hublots. Um, they always have been ever since their launch. And this one, uh, which is a US exclusive limited edition, is in a 45 millimeter bronze brown design. And I kind of like it. You know, I, I feel like it's very brown, yes, but at the same time, this is typically the kind of watch that looks kind of odd on images, but you see it in person, you put it on, and you realize that this works with jeans, it works with so many different everyday attires. It's just such a great everyday wearer, for sure. Some people in the comments mentioned this, and I agree. It kind of has sort of like a like a, like a a Western vibe to it. Like if there was like a, a cowboy driving a pickup truck, this might be what he, he might be wearing. So on the stagecoach film, is this what the prop master should have I was thinking about what John Wayne would wear as a watch uh, in that movie. I really was thinking about that. And I was actually talking to Sean on our team, and we were discussing how probably the closest equivalent was the Ralph Lauren watch collection had a a, a Western series. It had some um, engraved filigree and stuff like that on it, which was really nice. But I think that an untapped era, era, you know, area of design, call me crazy, is you know the cowboy watches. Even though you know no such thing ever would have made sense, you know, I I, I don't know. I think there's merit. Well, to we've it. started watching Yellowstone. I don't know if you're familiar with the TV show. Oh, with Costa, it's actually really good. I, I wasn't convinced when it was nominated as a series to watch. But it's actually really good, but there's not a lot of watch game in it that I've noticed so far, despite the fact there's a lot of money in the show. So maybe maybe Hublot are missing a trick in terms of uh, television sponsorship. I don't know. Is, 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 oh, Co- is Costner known as a watch guy? 
I can't think I've ever seen any of these websites. I've never heard his name mentioned in anything like that. It's possible he is, but I, I again, I've never seen him identified as sort of like one of the uh, watch collector celebrities out there. And there are people that are. Yeah. I, I don't know that. Yeah, I guess he's never so been there on that go. radar. Kevin, if you're listening in, we want to know, are, are, you, are you at heart of hearts a, a, a new blue man, really? So there you go. I mean, I really do like this, these uh, classic fusions. The thing is, you go to people that sell Ublos and you can see them in the window and they don't have display model only written at the bottom of them. You can actually walk in and buy them. And, you know, they cost what they cost. And if you're a watch nerd, yeah, maybe there is some, you know, I don't know, anti Ublo thing vibe still going on from time to time. You remember we met with Nico yes. at, at Watches <laughs> yes. and Wonders? I, I hope to get him on a superlative show. I got to yeah. reach out to him. But this is a, it was such a fascinating thing. You know, there's this like latent hublo prejudice <laughs> that can be overcome. Like you can be like unlearned, but it's like if you grow up a watch lover and you have the, I don't know, the, this right chemistry, uh, you just end up hating Hublot for, for no reason that I can really understand other than you may not have identified with their marketing 10 years ago. But like, why you wouldn't like Hublot today, I, it just it boggles my mind. I don't get it. David, any thoughts? I'm, I'm with you 100%. It's just such an odd thing to keep pushing um, against um, Hublot, especially now that I believe Hublot, hands down, has given so much to the watch industry in terms of opening up what is possible with design. You know, you have to give them credit for a lot of things in terms of materials, design choices, the rubber strap on a gold watch. You know, I, I look at Patek Philippe and Rolex and all these, uh, and Washeron and all these prestigious brands offering rubber strap on a gold watch. And, you know, 20 years ago, I'm sure they were extremely snarky and, you know, um, offended by the prospect of whatever Hublot was doing. And we have to give them credit for breaking that barrier and a bunch of others. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying you have to love Hublot, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to say that you have to give them credit for a bunch of things. I think that the Ariel Adams, Nico Vanderhorst superlative show could very well break the internet. So I think we should probably put that behind a paywall as well. And I do not want to have any responsibility for editing that show because the bleep button... What would the, happen? Well, the bleep button would need to be employed or you would need to advertise it as explicit. Nico, for all that I love him, he's a great guy. He does have the worst combination of Belfast and Dutch potty mouth on him. So... Uh, it will be it will be a great show and i think we should sell tickets i think we actually should sell tickets in fact i'll go more than that i think you should do that show live on the internet or do it in person let's get you across to belfast or nico across to london or la or somewhere and, and record that live that will break the watch internet what is this like a pay-per-view i, I, I think a pay-per-view between you on the pro ublo and nico on the anti ublo side and i think we i think we reach out i think we reach out to jcb to compare the contest oh. uh it will be a classic but if you want to read about the classic ublo and these new square big bangs then check out Everything we've got to say about them on a blog to watch. And I'd like to talk about the Speak Marine. Did anybody go to the booth at Watches and Wonders? Well, uh, we accidentally <laughs> missed them. <laughs> uh, 
We already wrote the note. I'm so sorry. Uh, could you send a watch over and uh, we'll check out the um, the ripple? Well, in America, we have a uh, junk food called Pringles. <laughs> and uh, that's what I've nicknamed this watch, the Pringle. This is a speak marine we're talking about. Yeah. Th- look, I mean... There's so much to say about this. I, first, I want so, to talk so, about... So, hold on. If you pop, can you stop? Is that what we're saying about this watch? Because that's the Pringles in this, slogan in this country. Once you pop... Yeah, we probably have Yeah, we probably have the same one. Probably have the same one. I don't know if it's been around for a while. But yeah, I mean, look, I think this watch... This is the, the, the short story. I think this is a cool watch that if you put it on, you're going to like it. People have not understood this watch. This actually reminds me of the Bell & Ross BR5, but sort of in a little bit different way. I think the bracelet is cool. I like the uh, uh, the what, the Piccadilly hands, as as Peter would call them, go with the Piccadilly case. Um, you know, this is a watch that is uh, originally inspired by by watchmaking in London, and and there's there's so much to say about this. I mean, I've known the 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 namesake of the brand. He's no longer associated with the brand, and he's one of those people who is a very fine watchmaker and a very good personality who made a brand and. Uh, uh, through a lot of series of events, um, end up selling the brand. And the funny thing is, there's there's no one out there named Speak Marin anymore because he actually divorced his wife and is no longer allowed to use the Marin part right. of the name. So this <laughs> what, the brand is funny because it it refers to someone that doesn't exist anymore, which kind of adds a wonderful flavor <laughs> for me, right? You you have to know all these funny background stories. So you know it's 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 kind of amazing because it alludes to a, a man who exists in a time and a place. And how much better than 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 uh, could you get a story for a watch than that? This is their entrant to the integrated, you know, bracelet watch, yep. following in the sort of the the Gerald Genta steps that as many brands have done. Um, so in a sense, it is very much a response to market demand. But these men's jewelry bracelet watches, as I call them, are still very hip and very popular and, and one of the more preferred styles of watches out there. So it's a very me too watch, but it's also a very sensible watch given the market. I'm not a huge fan of the asymmetric subsidiary second style. I know they're trying to go for some personality. And I like that. Uh, maybe I would have placed it on the other side to balance off of the, the crown. I'm not sure. I'd probably change my mind if I wore it. It's not that big of a deal. But like, I, I, I if this watch is rendered correctly, which I don't know because I haven't seen it yet, I actually have high hopes for this timepiece. Yeah, I like it. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of anything that's got a micro rotor on it, fundamentally. This has got a micro rotor, so it always always wins out. But why no decoration on the micro rotor? Uh, interesting point. Yeah. You think they forgot or didn't care or I mean, what? it's a render. It's a. Re- I like how the the case back and again we're looking at pictures has has apparently multiple fonts on there. I don't know why it needs so many fonts. <laughs> and uh, what does that mean, L.A. City? Like like Los Angeles City or is that a different city? Pass. That was going to be my question to you in the hope that the fount of all knowledge would understand why it's got L.A. written in the back of it. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> The crown looks cool. Crown looks cool as hell. I think it looks pretty cool. I, I didn't see this at Watches and Wonders, unfortunately. I walked past the booth several times and didn't think to pop in. Oh, so you yeah, also yeah, missed yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, we all missed it. <laughs> David, did you miss it or did you manage to walk past? <laughs> M- miss what exactly? Ripples. 
Uh, no, I I didn't see it in the metal. <laughs> I I missed Lost City. That sounds like some type of like creature mascot to the brand. Like Ripples would be speak the Speakmarin brand mascot. I don't know what kind of creature Ripples would be though. I guess it's this one. So we've got Oris Bear and Ripples, the Speakmarine insert animal type. You know what they need? They need the Speakmarine sea lion. Ripples, Ripples the, the sea, sea lion. lion. We hereby do christen Ripples the sea lion. <laughs> Is this? Oh, hold on a second. Has this got any water resistance to speak of? Is a sea lion appropriate? Uh, well, five. That's a good uh, it's question. fifty I'm meters, hoping... five atmospheres. Ooh. It's fifty meters enough to have a sea lion as your mascot. You could go, you could go lightweighting. You can yeah. go lightweighting for. Actually, why is there no watch called the sea lion? You have every other type of marine creature. Why is there no sea lion? Very agile, <laughs> friendly. Why no sea lion watch? People love lions. All I'm saying is that there's there's watches, you know, inspired by walruses and every type of like ocean predator and fish and echinoderm. I mean, I like it. I, I know what you mean about the asymmetrical nature of the running seconds. I don't know whether it would. I mean, if it's under the cuff, it means you can see the running seconds. And How I don't useful. I don't wish <laughs> I don't wish to segue across to the lefty o'clock Rolex. But we're going to get there at some stage. So is this just doing what the lefty o'clock does for wearing it on the right hand, which is allow you to see the date? Does this wearing in the left hand just allow you to see that it's working? And is that a good thing? I mean, you know what they could have done is they could have had an additional subsidiary seconds dial that was a date indicator. That would be cool so to, to balance it off, maybe put it over by... Uh, I don't know, like five, uh, not at five o'clock, like seven or eight o'clock, somewhere on there. Seven o'clock. Yeah. Look, I mean, you know what? The bottom line is there's a lot of interesting things about this watch. And, you know, as cliche as it is to do an integrated, you know, bracelet watch these days, we're still very interested in them. It's still a very hot category. And I don't think that's going to stop. The market might not need all of these. But, you know, you have Chapek, who today basically said that their you know their integrated uh, bracelet watch they're just going to stop taking yeah. orders for like uh, like a several years or something like that because they're, they they have a lot to make i mean this is a hot category so uh, speak marin is is definitely wise to come up with something and this is about as good an entrant as anything i can imagine from the brand i mean i you know the piccadilly case is is better on a strap it looks it would look weird on a bracelet you can check this out it's about twenty thousand swiss francs and hasn't been postponed in availability like as you say the Chapek has and many others are just now simply not taking orders until I don't know 2023 2024 probably so if you're still interested in an integrated bracelet type design then the Speak Marine is probably very well worth a look and if you can figure out why it says LA City in the back of it before we can oh I figured it out well according uh-huh. to the article on the blog to watch <laughs> The rounded square case design is aptly nicknamed Lost City as it's as a nod to its London influence. I didn't know that that Lost City was a something related to London. But okay, that's... so it's not LA City; it's La City, which is presumably French or trying to be French. I have no I'm, idea. I mean, I literally typed in that into google and the very first thing is lacity.org which is the city of los <laughs> angeles <laughs> municipal website it is okay so so charmingly confusing it's crazy 
Yeah, so uh, nothing on the first page of Google has any reference to London. So it's, is it the city? That what last city would mean? The city is the city of London. I don't know. I think the case back needs a bit of work, speak Marin. Just okay. a little bit. So if you ba- happen to buy one and in the handover, they happen to tell you what it means because you look at the case back and go, why has this got LA City written in the back of it? Then do send us a voicemail via the <laughs> hey segue do send us a voicemail via the spotify app a, a blog to watch weekly and you can tell us all about I, it i'm on page five of google already <laughs> and everything is still about los angeles okay. we have finally hamilton who debut the 38 mil khaki um I'm, I'm not a big hamilton fan don't really know why the brand's never really kind of spoken to me. I'm not sure this is going to be the entry that I'm looking for, that Hamilton is going to speak to me. But it is a very well-known watch as an intro to mechanical watchmaking. The Hamilton khaki is very often a lot of people's first venture. And it's a pretty looking watch. It's competitive. Eight, $900, 38mm. It's a kind of unisex size. Anybody can wear 38 mil. Thoughts on this? Nope. (laughs) Nobody's got any thoughts on the Hamilton khaki. (laughs) No, I mean, look, the khaki is, it's a classic. Here's a problem. It's well priced. Hamilton perfected the khaki a long time ago, but they still need to make new ones, right? So they keep finding ways of varying it up. And and once in a while, they're like, oh, that makes sense. But a lot of times, like, no, I didn't need that new version. And, and I think that's sort of what you face. So as a consumer, I think that all collectors would be very happy to have like a khaki in their collection. My favorite is still the one they did for Interstellar, which they which is an amazing story because they made a prop for the movie that became so popular, they decided to actually make a production model. Like, like begrudgingly, they're like, oh, fine, we'll make it. And it ended up for years and years being one of the best-selling <laughs> of the khaki watches. They called it the yep. Murph. But it but it, it was actually designed more or less by uh, the movie people, so that was kind of interesting. Thirty eight millimeter field titanium is sort of a, a, a very popular area right now. This size in a titanium entry level field style watch, it's just there's an endless market for it. So all all Hamilton really needs to do is just make variations, and you can see they they slightly change the dials and slightly change the cases. And it's an experiment. And, you know, for example, you have this one that has, it looks like concrete or like, um, you know, you're, you're, you know, some type of industrial thing, like, uh, uh, I, I forget all the terms, and, you know, like you're, you're painting walls. Um, uh, I'm not that into this one, but, you know, give them credit for just trying new stuff, uh, you know, with it. They, 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 they try to add a fashionable twist to this this classic and it's it's not an easy thing to do because they they have to introduce variety but they can't mess with a formula that has worked spackle maybe that's the thing spackle i mean it's like 38 millimeters in titanium for just under 900 dollars. looks great wears great is legible is automatic uh, you know what more um do you need or can you ask for i feel like this is such a great entry um to to mechanical watches from a quality brand, you know, of course you can pick up um, automatic um, washes for less than that. But once you, you know, want to experiment, do I like titanium? Do I like olive green? Do I like a 24-hour military time dial, etc.? It's just a great point of entry in that regard. And uh, yeah, like Ariel said, they they have perfect, perfected it long ago, but I personally am happy that they keep 
making them and, and fine-tuning them and launching different versions just for our entertainment. Excellent. Well, as we approach the end of the show, what else is on everybody's radar for the coming week? And has anyone yet figured out the lefty o'clock, the Destro GMT as to what Rolex were really trying to achieve with this? So final thoughts on all watches and final thoughts on the new GMT Master 2. Yeah, I think that what they want is just slowly introduce the concept of all watches having the the crown on the left hand side because we were having this discussion during our Rolex meeting where uh, someone actually proposed the idea that you know maybe we have been doing it the wrong way for the last 80 years I mean the perpetual self-winding system Rolex patented in I believe 1931 so approximately 80 years ago and ever since then, you technically don't really need the crown to be to fall to hand that easily because you don't need to set it up or, or rewind it. You know the reason why uh, the crown was at three o'clock is because watches had forty something hour power reserves and were, um, you know, almost exclusively hand wound for for decades, um, and for you know a large portion of the of the uh, previous century. But right now, where everything, including the, this little Hamilton is automatic why do you need the crown that much i mean if you have a daily wearer and a lot of people you know purchase a rolex and then wear it all day for years and decades do you really need that crown digging into the top of your head uh hand you know uh, probably not so uh, maybe this is an experiment and we are in for <laughs> a whole lot more upside down rolex watches listen i hear what you're saying and i like the fact that you're trying to plow this lonesome furrow of <laughs> wait a minute Rolex can do no wrong and so actually what this is really saying is all watches should have the crown on the left hand side and I kind of get where you're coming from but that still doesn't explain why the date is also on the left hand side because if we've been getting it wrong for all these years and all us people who wear watches on the left hand should really have Destro crowns on the left hand side then why would you also have the date the date would need to stay on the right hand side so i kind of buy what you're saying fair point i, I kind of hear the argument you're trying to make and um, i think we're going to do a show specifically dedicated to this discussion at some point oh my goodness but i'm not quite buying not quite but i'm not quite buying what you're selling just yet david i i have two points to add a uh if you were gonna make a true lefty watch uh, that you could wear the you know the GMT Master on. This would be it. It's designed to be worn, theoretically speaking, on the right hand. The position of the date is there specifically so that if you're wearing it on the right hand and you're sliding it through a sleeve, uh, you see the date window first as opposed to last. So you'd have to pull up less of your sleeve. That's why the date has always been in the position that it's in at, at, at three o'clock. And then the second thing I'll say is. There's actually no way for Rolex to have gotten this right. <laughs> oh, yeah. No matter where they put the crown or the date or anything like that, people were going to complain. Um, so, you know, it's it's a variety. It's a slightly different flavor. You know, it's like, it's like uh, you know, it's there's vanilla and then there's like French vanilla and there's like, you know, v- you know, I don't know, whole vanilla bean vanilla. It's It's just another vanilla. And if you don't like this vanilla, there's plenty of other vanillas out there for you. Good stuff. I- so coming up in the week ahead, David, what have you got? What's anything coming that you're excited about? Any articles you're writing that you're desperate to get onto the website? Yeah, I'm looking forward to writing about the uh, Daytona de Cartier, uh, <laughs> where we 
So this uh, weird-looking uh, three-subdial chronograph uh, in the Pasha case by Cartier that looked very distinctly like a Daytona. It had strong Daytona vibes, at least to me. So I look forward to re reviewing my images and then writing a hands-on and see what I make of it now, um, you know, a week or so after having seen it at Watches and Wonders 2022. So that, that's the next one for me. Good stuff. What's up for you next, Ariel? Oh, a lot of things. Um, I have to go skydiving. Oh, yes. So this may be the last iteration of a blog to watch. The, the website could just stop at the end of this week. It'd just be frozen in time because Ariel is lying with a little chalk mark where his body lay. I'm not trying to speak bad... I'm not trying to speak bad things into your future, Ariel. I do hope that it all goes according to plan and everything opens. And it will be really unfortunate if I've been speaking all this and then something bad does happen because we'll need to go back and edit and, you know, obituaries and all the rest of it. But yeah. <laughs> Ariel, can you please make sure you wear a watch that people carry about so that we can auction it off <laughs> after the fact? <laughs> well, it's going to be a Formex because it's an event with Formex. And I want to add that I'm statistically more likely to die driving there than actually well, jumping. Well, like, can you wear a watch that people care about on the drive there as well then? Yeah. What would be a watch that people care about? Wear a Rolex, wear the Hulk or something like that. <laughs> okay. All right, I'll do that. I'll do that. Thank you so much. Actually, the last two times I went skydiving, I don't remember what watch I wore. I really don't remember. I should have some memory of that. Because but I'm doing survived. that, and then I'm going to do a completely different type of thrill-seeking event with Showpard, where I'm joining them in one of their vintage car rallies. So I will be in sitting in some overly small <laughs> 1960s uh, era sports car driving from L.A. to Santa Barbara. About as genteel as it gets, but I'm really looking forward to that show part lifestyle. Last time they treated us to some classical violin music, so it's 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 always a nice civil time with show part. <laughs> a chance sure. of breaking down on that event are fifty percent. So you got a triple. Is it triple A they call it in the states? Over here, it's called the AA. Oh, they've already planned for that. They have all these support vehicles, as they call driving behind. They're 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 not leaving <laughs> any chance there. Don't worry. So I don't know why you need an extra A in America where we've just got the A in the uk not quite sure not quite sure what the extra a stands for but there you go uh, is there only like one a in hungary david like if you break down in hungary who do you call huh it's called the yellow angels i believe for some reason i don't know why all right okay so it sounds like brightly needs to make a watch for them <laughs> oh yeah 100 <laughs> they're driving little opals <laughs> Full of spanners and stuff, but yeah, sure, they could use like a, a high-end chronograph for some reason. Excellent. Good stuff. Well, thank you for joining us this week. Do check out uh, the Superlative podcast uh, featuring Ariel and his discussions with whoever the latest and greatest are uh, in the watch world. And we do look forward to the Nico episode dropping sometime. I think maybe, yeah, definitely get your skydiving over with before you record that one. But uh, yeah, we look forward to hearing from that one. And obviously, do like and subscribe. And send us a review at a blog to watch weekly. And do tune in to the channel directly at a blog to watch weekly, just in case you're listening to this on the Spending Time channel. So that's it from us. Have a great week, everybody. Goodbye from me and goodbye from all of them. Say goodbye, folks. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>